Good morning, good morning. Church, go ahead and take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome. Welcome to City Light Bennington. Special Sunday. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Uh, if I don't know you, my name is Roy, one of the lead pastors here. Happy Easter Sunday. This morning, I just want to start off by teaching us a lesson that's an age-old age old one from Dr. Watson and Sherlock Holmes. So if you'll indulge me for a moment, the two men end up going on a camping trip. And during their camping trip, trip, they end up settling for the night. They do the classic campfire deal. They do the classic storytelling deal. And then they make their way to their tent for the night. A few hours later, we end up having Sherlock Holmes wake up, looks up at the stars, nudges Dr. Watson and says, Watson, look up at the sky. Tell me, what do you see? Watson, he's, he just woke up from a cold sleep. He's, what, what's going on? He says, well, Sherlock, I, I see that there are millions and millions of stars. Sherlock then says, okay, so what does that mean? This is the middle of the night. Watson then ponders. He reflects and he thinks, okay, the pressure's on. I have to think of something eloquent to say. And then he profoundly says, well, astronomically, it means that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of, pa of planets. Horologically, it means that it's about three in the morning. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful. We are insignificant and small. Meteorologically, I can see that tomorrow's going to be a beautiful day. And then Sherlock, he looks over at Sherlock and he says, what do you see, Sherlock? Sherlock then puts his head down into his hand, looks over at Watson and says, Watson, you idiot. It means that someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> Think about that. It is so easy for each one of us to overlook the obvious. And on Easter, we do the same every year, if we're honest. Culturally, it means that Easter or Easter Bunny pastels. Academically, it means that we are on spring break. Seasonally, it means that it's spring about now. Commercially, it means that it's one of the largest real, real retail holidays of the whole year. But truthfully, and the born-again Christians can testify to this, Easter is about Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Amen? Amen. And his resurrection, and this is the point that I want us to focus on this morning. His resurrection is the number one display of God's pursuit of each one of us, his pursuit of humanity. This is the obvious truth that we may look over when Easter rolls around each year. Now, I'm aware, because I even invited many of you this morning and you're here, I'm aware that there are a bunch of visitors this morning. For some of you, you really don't want to be here. For some of you, you're a born-again Christian, you love that it's Easter, and for some of you, you're investigating this whole God thing. Not just the God thing, but the church thing. How does this fit into truth? Is this real? And here you are this morning. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I just want to say I am grateful that each one of you are here, specifically today. We got one spirit-filled Christian over there. If you're clapping at that, you're gonna be clapping all morning, I'm just saying. God wants to give you specifically a clear picture of who you are and who God is this morning. And for some of us, by the end of this message, we will feel 
Like the only thing to do in response is to give our autonomy back to our creator, to start following Jesus. And by the way, I'm not that good of a communicator. I can't do it. I can't convince you. Actually, the Bible says that only he can convince you. You know, I could go through and we could talk about how the Bible is the most scientifically accurate book ever written in human history. Archaeologists end up having this as a thing by three ways. Number one, how many copies of an original text that there are. Number two, how many uh, how close they were to the original text that was written. And then lastly is, how many points are there of differentiation between each copy of each letter of the Bible? In other words, how accurate are they? Are they saying the same thing? And the Bible blows ancient manuscripts out of the water. I could share all those things with you this morning, but it will not get you to a place that will give over your autonomy back to God, our creator. I could share with you that there's over 39 sources outside of the Bible, historians from Roman backgrounds, from Greek backgrounds, from Jewish backgrounds, Josephus, Justin Martyr, and Clement of Alexandria, just to name a few, that testify of the risen Christ, his arrival, and his perfect life. I can share with you those things, and it will not convince you, just as it never convinced me, to give my autonomy, to give my life back to my creator. I could even share with you that over 300 prophecies were fulfilled in Jesus's arrival, his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's a mathematic impossibility. That's the equivalent of having a bag, unassembling your phone, putting it in a bag, shaking it up, and then pulling out a reassembled phone. It's impossible, cuz. It won't happen. That's the mathematic possibility it was with Jesus' life, death, arrival, and resurrection. And guess what? It will not convince you to give your autonomy and start following Jesus, our creator. And do you know why that is? It's because following God is not a head thing, it is a heart thing. It is not a head thing, it's a heart thing. The Bible has credible answers for any honest thinker. I would say it this way for any honest pursuer of truth. The issue is that we don't want God like he wants us. I lived that life for 19 years, I can testify. I did not want God like he wanted me. And the reason that you and I once never wanted God like he wanted us was because of a condition each one of us were born with, and that's sin. A spiritual disease. Sin means to miss the mark. The mark is the way that God intended us to live. It's moral and it's perfect. Examples of this are don't covet, don't lie, don't steal. And we were born with a sin condition, like a spiritual disease that causes us to lie, causes us to want other things, causes us to be discontent. And sin in our hearts is the reason, my friend, why we don't want God like he wants us. The number one reason. The Bible is beautiful. It's a mirror. God has made it as a history book in one sense, that we would look back on history and that we would see humanity. And when we would see humanity, we would see ourselves reflected in their imperfections. And that we would learn who we are in our nature and how good God is. So this morning, we're going to briefly go through three texts in the Bible before Jesus' arrival. And we're going to see how sin has affected people then and how sin has affected people now. 
So the first humans were Adam and Eve. There was no sin during creation. It was perfect. It was paradise. They were close in relationship with God, like friends. They were intimate in closeness, like spouses. There was no distance between humanity and our creator, God. But then something happened. Adam and Eve fell into one of the oldest lies that each one of us easily fall into, and it was that we don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. That we don't believe that God has our best interest at heart. That caused them to disobey, and because they disobeyed, it caused space, a break of relationship, distance between humanity and our creator. They no longer were walking with God in step with him. They no longer wanted to obey him naturally. They no longer were talking like to God like friends. They were no longer in union with God like spouses. In fact, they ran, the Bible says, and Ab and Eve ran and hid. And what we're about to read about now is right after their initial sin against God. And we're gonna see how sin back then affects us still today. So that's Genesis chapter three. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Ever since the humans at this point sinned against God, each one of us have been born with a sin condition. And that condition makes us run and hide from our creator. We run to work. We run to achievements, we run to success, we run to busyness, we run to being a, quote, morally good person instead of going to God for our purpose. And what happens next in this passage shows God's love for us. He doesn't respond by pushing away from the table and saying, and he had every right to say, you know what, I messed up on this bunch of humans I'm just going to restart and get rid of them all. He doesn't do that at all. He doesn't distance himself like the original humans did and like we tend to do. Instead, he pressed back into the table and he pursued us. He pursued humanity. He does this by making a promise right after this, and we won't read it. He makes a promise to Adam and Eve that he will solve their sin issue, the reason why they're hiding, the reason why they're running from God. Why does he do this? It will reveal God's heart. He does this because he wants you. He cares for you. And sin had to be dealt with in order to bring us back into relationship with God. So from here, moving forward, we'll go to the next text. We're going to see that humanity will persistently sin against God, and yet God will continue to pursue them, and he still does today. Let me take us to the next scene in the Bible. We're going to fast forward about 1,500 years, and after God promises to solve our sin issue, we're going to find that the humans are rebelling again against God. This is Genesis chapter 6, three chapters later. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. 
The sin condition that each one of us was born with is now causing humans to do wicked and evil things. It's causing humans to rebel against our creator. And what sticks out in this text is actually the response of God as well. It shows that he was sorry. God has emotions. In other words, each time that I sinned against God for 19 years, keeping him at arm's length in rebellion, he was sorry for me. He had pity on my soul because he knew what I was missing out on. God is distraught for those who have not yet given your life back to your creator. And you would think at this point, at this point, surely, we would see God push away from the table. He's like, it's been 1,500 years since I, got, since I, I gave you guys a warning and gave you mercy. I, I, now I'm going to come down with judgment. But instead, he extends mercy. Remember, he made a promise to humanity to solve our sin issue. Why? Because he wants us. And he does that in this situation by bringing about a man named Noah. Tells him to build a boat and then tells him to invite humanity into the boat. He invites every person on earth into the boat to avoid judgment that was coming because of humanity's sin. And do you know who came on that boat? Noah and his family. That was it, a reflection of how we really, we really don't want God like he wants us. That was God's mercy. Why? Because he wants us. He wants to resolve the sin issue that each one of us are born with. Okay, now I'm going to fast forward us about 100 to 300 years later. After this second rebellion that we just covered, the human sin condition is going to flare itself up again. And humans repopulate. So after God ends up erasing through the flood humanity, Noah and his descendants, they end up repopulating the earth. And here we find them building a tower and a city. And we're going to see that the attitude of their hearts in building a tower and a city was one of selfishness, pride, and mistrust in God. Genesis chapter 11, 100 years later, they began saying to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Bless you. There are multiple issues here in this text. The first one is that God has told prior to this portion in the scriptures, he's told Noah's descendants to go spread out and cover the earth. But we see them settling, building a city. And then at the very end, he says, they end up saying, we don't want to be scattered all over the world. The sin issue was causing humanity in that moment to mistrust God. Just like Adam and Eve, not believe that God really has their best interest at heart. Believe that they also could thwart the plans of God in their pride. And not just that, the second thing is the materials that they build the tower from was waterproof. Okay, so what we didn't cover was from the time that Noah was about, fast forward to 100 years now in which we're covering, during that time, God ends up saying and making a promise, I will not flood the earth and destroy the earth ever again. And here we find them mistrusting God and building a tower in a city that's waterproof, essentially showing their hand to God that they really don't trust God. 
that if they really mess up, God's gonna come down with the hammer. And that's their way of controlling another issue that we find ourselves with, with our sin condition, always trying to control outcomes and have our human lives so perfectly ordered with our perfect families, perfect grandkids in a perfect area with our great car, sports car, kids in sports, fulfilling all of what we desire in our life. Control, natural with the sin condition. And the last one we end up seeing is they build the tower for their fame and recognition, which is crazy because what we've covered thus far has to do with how humans stink and how God is great, how humans mess up and how God is merciful, how humans have a hiccup and don't really, really don't want God and yet God pursues and what do they do to pay him back because their sin condition? They want their own fame. They build a tower not for his fame, but for their own fame to be recognized. And here we end up seeing that they're really about selfishness. They're really about mistrust in God. And guess what? If we're all honest, we can all resonate with that whole story. A part of why I never came to Jesus was because I thought that I was competent enough to fulfill my dreams and go about the methods in fulfilling my dreams and accomplishing them. In other words, I thought that I was a better leader than my creator in leading my life. So my whole dream was football, played at UNL for those of you who don't know, and I ended up fulfilling the thing. Freshman year, I fulfill it. It's actually pretty great, but it's not nearly as satisfying as what I would have thought, not even close to it. And so shortly after then, I gave my life over to Jesus Guys shared the gospel with me. I didn't come from a Christian household. It blew my mind. My heart was ready. I gave my autonomy back to my creator. And it was soon after that when I started walking in step with what the Bible said that I realized that for 19 years of my life not following Christ, I was dead wrong. God is a far greater leader than I am of my life. In 15 years of walking that, I can give a hearty amen yet still today. Getting back into the Bible, you wouldn't think by this point that God would extend mercy. You would expect him to push away from the table. But that ain't God. Remember, he made a promise way back 1,500 years prior to Adam and Eve that he would solve our sin issue, which is causing us to be selfish. Why? Because he cares for you, for us. Terry, you mind grabbing me my Bible right there, big dog? I've covered three, thank you, large rebellions. Some of you are still snoozing. It's all good. During your snooze, you woke up, and here's what you're seeing. I've covered just this amount of the Bible, y'all. I'm actually 10 chapters too far. This chapter of the Bible, we see humans rebelling against God and God pursuing us. I'm now going to skip to this part. Right here, this part in the Bible with Jesus' arrival. Let me give you some quick spark notes of what happens right here because it's the majority of the Bible we're skipping over. God pursues despite man rebelling. Humanity is selfish, yet God pursues. Humanity hides and runs to sin, and yet God pursues. The heart of God is all up in this thing saturated with his wants for us. 
and pursuing us. He wants a relationship with each one of us. So I'm skipping to that and I'm jumping to the good stuff of why we're here today. Is that okay, church? Okay. Finally, we're going to cover how God solves our sin issue, which causes all those distances between us and God. And do you know how he does it? He is going to attempt to do the miraculous. He is going to try to put his Holy Spirit within us. And he's going to try to give us a new heart. Look with me, Ezekiel, God's speaking here. And he ends up saying this. And I will give you rebellion humans, rebellious humans, a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony and stubborn heart, which has been stained with sin, and give you a tender and responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. In order for this surgery, spiritual surgery to happen, God must come in the flesh, become a man, and then he must live a sinless life, which we could never do, which we were intended for before the original sin of Adam and Eve. He must die. Our criminal offenses towards God requires a life for a life. His perfect life for our imperfect life. He must raise from the grave so that the stronghold of slavery, of sin, will be broken over God's knee and the curse would be shattered forevermore. And then we would be compelled to want God like he wants us. And Jesus, praise God, does every single one of those things. Hallelujah. Jesus was falsely accused of blasphemy from the religious leaders who he was pursuing. Then he was unfairly tried by a mob whom he was pursuing. Then he was beaten beyond recognition, spat on, mocked, scrutinized by the people he was pursuing. Then he was unjustly sentenced to death by Pontius Pilate, who he came to save. Then he would be flogged and whipped beyond recognition. This flogging and whipping is a real thing historically. The Romans perfected it, but the Persians came up with it. You see, the whip was made of glass, bone, metal. Each person was whipped approximately 39 times on their backside leaving gashes on Jesus' back that were, would have approximately needed 7,000 stitches to bind. Most people would die from the flogging. And God could have given up his life right there, but he didn't. He had a mission to accomplish, his rescue mission in pursuit of us. After the flogging, he would be nailed to a cross, also known as crucified, where they would put nails through the condemned's wrists. They would put nails through the condemned's feet to hold them together so that they would be able to live with hardly breathing with every breath for hours, if not days. Jesus was ours. And he did this in pursuit of us. Crucifixion was a gory thing. It was meant to shame the condemned. And then finally, he gave up his life. 
They didn't take it from him. In each situation, he willingly went to the cross in pursuit of us. He went through all of that because he wants us. He rose from the grave because he wants us. God overcame humanity's blunders, which we covered for thousands of years in pursuit of us. And we aren't here by accident today. Not even close. You haven't ran too far from God. You aren't too selfish. You aren't too imperfect. Your past does not disqualify you. Your questions don't scare God, and neither do your hesitations. God wants you. You're the exact type of person that God wants. I know from experience, because that was the same person as you with the attitude of my heart. I'm here to tell you that if you've been looking for greater adventure in your life, if you've been looking for greater fulfillment and satisfaction in, in, in your life, and I say greater because there are a plethora of things that will satisfy you and give you purpose for a small amount of time, but if you're looking for a greater purpose in your life that is long-lasting, forevermore until your last dying breath, if you don't want to be scared after death because life gets better, that comes through a relationship with your creator, Jesus. That's what I'm here to tell you. I testify through the word of God and through my own experience, having gone through a bunch of different things, it is better to live a surrendered life unto God. And if you don't believe me, then I want you to hear the agreement that, of the saints in the room. Church, if you agree with what I've said thus far, would you give shouts of praise and an applause to God for the next 10 seconds? Go ahead. Go ahead. Amen. To be clear, God wants a relationship with you. And that comes by surrender. To have a relationship with God, our creator, for the very first time. To have God's spirit in you for the very first time to experience a new heart with new desires for the very first time. There are a few things that God wants of you. That, that was true of me at one point in my life. One, that I would truly, that you would truly be sorry for your sins against God. That you've offended the lover and pursuer of your soul. That you must turn away from running your life. And you must bow your knee and say, God, I give all autonomy to you. You tell me how to run my life. Give me your vision for my life. Restore to me what I was intended for. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now to discern that. I'm gonna pray. I want you to listen carefully and that's all you're gonna do. I want you to track along and I don't want you to repeat anything of what I'm saying as we pray together. When I'm praying, if this prayer resonates with your soul, you're ready to give your life to your creator now. And if that's true, I'll have something to say after. Let's go ahead, all bow our heads and pray. God, I have offended you. I recognize you have been pursuing me. 
you came, died, and raised from the grave in pursuit of me. I recognize I have run from you. I'm sorry. I recognize that I have thought I've known better than you. I'm sorry. I want you. I don't care what this means for my future. I want you. Please forgive me of my offenses towards you. I want you. Please give me a new heart and fill it with you. Friends, with your eyes remaining closed, if that prayer was the attitude of your heart, you're ready to give your life to Jesus. The time is now. This is what your life has built up to. There are moments in life where momentum happens and you want to ride the wave into God's grace. And that's this moment. I'm going to pray it again line by line. When I stop, everyone's eyes are still down, eyes closed. I want you to repeat it silently in your thoughts if, you've, if you're ready to give your life to Jesus now. Or you can pray it out loud. Let's pray again. God, I have offended you. I recognize you have been pursuing me. You came, died, and raised from the grave in pursuit of me. I recognize I have run from you. I'm sorry. I recognize that I have thought I've known better than you. I'm sorry. I want you. I don't care what this means for my future. I want you. Please forgive me of my offenses towards you. I want you. Please right now, give me a new heart and fill it with you. While everyone's eyes are closed and heads still remaining low, I want to give you an opportunity if you pray that prayer for the first time and mean it for the first time, an opportunity to publicly recognize that your allegiance is to God first and that you've prayed that prayer. So if you would do so and you've prayed that prayer, what I'm going to ask you to do is to look up so that I can greet you into the family of God. Welcome, brother. You're going to make eye contact me, with me. Welcome, sister. I love you. Welcome to the family. Hey, sis. Love you. one of you that I happen to not see while eyes are still down or those who gave me eye contact, the best part of your life has just begun. 
I want to encourage you. Tell your family or who you came with of what just happened in your heart. Everyone, go ahead and look up. If you're born again, you have new brothers and sisters in the room. Let's give God an applause.